Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Risk Engineers Talk Governance. In this episode, due diligence engineers Richard Robinson and Gay Francis talk about the journey to WHS criminalization and more specifically the journey of risk management profession over the past few decades. We hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please give us a rating. Also remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have any feedback, please drop us a line. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Richard, and welcome to another podcast session. How are you today? I'm well, Gay. It's a very fine day. Pleasant temperature. Excellent. Today we thought we'd talk about the journey to WHS criminalisation and um, the journey, I guess, that the risk management standard's been on and or the risk management um, profession has been on in the last 30 years. And I guess this came out of... I gave a conference paper late last year, I think it was, and it was... Um, it, it, the, I was the only engineer amongst a whole lot of lawyers and so we were sort of saying how do you demonstrate... Um, due diligence in accordance with the WHS legislation, but there was a, a lot of lawyers talking about how to comply with the legislation and um, it was interesting that the two different aspects of, of what the lawyers were saying, as in a compliance check against the legislation compared to what we were saying to keep things safe in your organisation, this is the due diligence process that you need to go through. And one of, one of the speakers was talking about that um, and an observation from us is that there's been a lot more um, prosecutions um, under the WHS legislation probably in the last 18 months to two years. Right. Um, and that observation was quite um, confronting that we didn't expect that to happen because it hadn't happened in the past. Um, and the, the observation was that they were mainly prosecuting small and medium-sized organisations rather than large businesses. Well, they were the successful prosecutions at any rate. That's correct. Um, and one of the, the lawyers was saying that there was still an observation that there was still quite a number of levels between the executive management in large organisation and what was happening on the ground or at site between those large organisations. So there was still a corporate veil protecting some of the larger organisations against the WHS um, criminal man... or. Um, Manslaughter. Criminal manslaughter provisions. Um, but I think that's starting to change even in the last little while that, you know, that excuse that there is that power distance um, is, is no longer an excuse or a, a reason that they won't be prosecuted against. Well, I mean, see, from an engineering viewpoint, we've always held the view the object was to stop things going wrong in the first place rather than just to stop yourself going to jail. We agree that's a worthwhile thing to do, mm-hmm. but the object is to demonstrate to your safe first in a way that satisfies your legal obligations, which has always been our proposition, whereas the lawyers just sort of say, well, a lot of them say, let's just go and do a compliance audit. So it's a liability management right. exercise rather than a safety. improved safety exercise. Correct. What was that line that somebody gave us? Remember, they gave us a new acronym. I can't remember what it was now. On, the, on, on, one of our, on our LinkedIn channel, I think it was. Okay. Anyway. Um, well, one of, the, one of the consequences of all this we were talking about, we're just trying to reflect on the actual history of this whole risk management business and how we actually got to this thing. And one of the slides in our book, I, I originally pitched it from KPMG, from the, basically from the, the 90s, I think it was, um, but they had sort of had an observation in the 80s, in effect, that technologists, the engineers particularly, 
hopped into this risk management business with enthusiasm. That's basically when I showed up. I mean, I was just commenting that one of the first papers I ever gave was The Rise and Future of Risk Engineering with Derek Viner back in 1983. Um, and and it, the engineers had seized on this with great enthusiasm because I remember the Warren Centre for Advanced Engineering from Sydney Uni was big on it too. I don't know if you remember that. No, you wouldn't actually. No, before my time, Richard, <laughs> I can say. Yeah. Anyway, um, the engineers were big on this in, in, the, in the 80s uh, and, in fact, that's how I sort of got into it and how I, I sort of got into business in the first place. Then, um, uh, and the risk management standards started in that time, which was based on the insurance um, downside risk management. But then the commercial people turned up in the 90s and said, no, 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 well, you technological people. Um, technological risk is a subset of business, commercial risk. And so, and, and we believe in upside-downside risk, you know, not just managing downside. We, we talk about you know, optimising upside as well. And so all you technological people, you're a subset of business risk, which is what the message KPMG was basically promoting. So you could have rewards and you could have opportunities as well as downside risk. Yeah, so well, they still talk about it. Yeah, now they still, if you, if you sort of manage your own super fund, they still talk about risks and opportunities, all these financial people. Anyway, um, what then happened, sort of, which kind of amused me, was that the psychologists then turned up in the 2000s and said, no, 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 all you, all you commercial people, this is all a matter of risk culture. I know the APRA review of the National Australia Bank foreign currency trading scandal said that the risk management standards were seen as tripwires to be avoided rather than genuine attempts at risk control and all that sort of thing. Um, and, so, and so the aviation psychologists particularly appeared and said, no, 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 and, and a number of the regulators turned into aviation, became, well, aviation psychologists became the regulator in different industries, um, and it was the psychologists. And then that's what sort of happened next was that the, um, the it's almost as though the lawyers felt we're missing out on this, we've got to get back into this or something like that because obviously the 2004 OHS Act came into Victoria but the WHS legislation commences at the start of the 2010s and a number of jurisdictions actually put um, criminality in for recklessness, knew or made or let it happen. That means it had to be a known problem which for some reason you failed to manage. Uh, and Queensland put that in and a number of others. Anyway, that decade sort of moseyed on. Um, and then in particular had the Dreamworld incident where the raft flipped and the four young people got killed. And when they tried to prosecute in Queensland the managing director and the chairman, it seems that um, they didn't know anything about it, uh, the, the issue, even though the organisation knew. Um, and so they could have done something about and it. And the background was that, that, was, um, that the rafts had actually flipped during a maintenance cycle when, when they, they were empty, so they knew when the water levels arose low that these rafts could flip. So as an organisation, as you said, they did know about it, but did the chairman and the well, managing the, director know? Clearly the organisation was negligent and they wanted to press that negligence onto the, the senior decision makers and they couldn't do it because recklessness said would have, you'd have to have shown that they knew beyond reasonable doubt that the hazard existed and, and I doubt that they did. Uh, and so the Boland Review kicked in and they made... They basically chucked in criminal manslaughter, knew or ought to have known, which has been busily flying around the place since about 2018 and Victoria, for example, adopted in 2020. So you can see in that sense that there, there's been a, a sudden rise in... in, in Prosecutions and... Well, the legislative framework's been put in mm. place to facilitate it. So what competent regulator wouldn't say, well, they've gone and given us all the tools, doesn't that mean we're supposed to? Um, and you just sort of rolls onto the you know the white island explosion where they started by prosecuting thirteen parties. I can't quite. You were telling me where that had popped out somewhere. Yeah, they've dropped the charges against the three individuals, but the organisation has been found guilty. 
yep. um, as a management organisation and sentencing is now not due till sort of early next year, 2024. But if you look at that journey like that, you're going from the technologists to, to the commercial people to this aviation psychologists and culture to the lawyers sort of reinserting criminal manslaughter in there and you sort of wonder why in the, the 2020s there's a sudden burst of prosecutions um, probably seems like a reasonable possibility in view if you just look at that from a helicopter view of the of the sequence of events. I think we've always had a problem though, Richard, when you when you set back to it and you say, hold on, we're trying to make our organisation safer and the tasks that we do safer for the individuals that do it. Um, by breaking them up into all of those little silos again, you've got this different insight and I don't know that risk should be separated out as a separate function. It's almost should be business as usual. Um, and thought about in all of those different ways. And I, I do get that they give you different insights. And But if you if you take, and we use the word SOFARP, and I, I think we're um, moving away from using the word SOFARP because that is creating a um, language confusion again, yep. um, whereas the intent is to make sure that all reasonable practical precautions are in place. Which in th with the emphasis on all, I think that's where some of the lawyers are getting a bit confused out there. You have to demonstrate that all reasonable practical precautions in place. It's not just a matter of reasonable practicability, it's all of them. And if you adopt a process which can miss one that was reasonable and that could have worked and it's identified after the event, that's problematic. Mm. Um, yeah, there's some other... I, I do... Yeah, there's another point I wanted to make and it's just escaped me again, which is irritating, but anyway, that's what happens when you get a bit older. So I think... None of these things are wrong. Um, there is a different focus and there's definitely a liability management um, exercise, a lot of liability management exercises going on at the moment. Um, but as we said, to make your organisation safe, you've got to consider all of the reasonable practical precautions that can be put in place. Um, and that requires a whole lot of different processes, not just a compliance audit against the legislation. I, I suppose what I think has puzzled me a bit is that I, mean, we, I think we made this observation before when we were doing some work for what was then the Office of Gas Safety. We sort of worked out there's two types of regulators. Those who think that the number of successful prosecutions are a measure of success and those who think that the number of successful prosecutions are a measure of their failure. Um, uh, we've, we've noticed an abrupt decline in the number of who think the successful prosecutions are a measure of their failure. And I'm not quite sure whether that's because they basically said trying to do that's all too hard and prosecuting is just so much simpler. And it is easier at one level. You just sort of have a few prosecutions and say, well, if you don't do it, you're It's it. black and white, isn't it? It's black it? and white. Whereas you're not trying to help. I think another observation we're trying to, we, we have seen is um, when we um, when the legislation first came out was we thought there may be a lot more technical directors on, yep. put on boards who had an understanding of the organisations and the issues that they were exposed to. Um, but that certainly doesn't appear to have been the case. They still seem to be... Um, mainly lawyers and accountants on there. Um, and I wonder whether this um, new view or new move towards or a recent move towards the liability management tool, that's where the lawyers come into being on boards. But they still have to have an understanding now that it's um, new or ought to have known, they yep. still are required to have an understanding of what the issues that their organisation are exposed to. Well, I would have thought so, but we'll see what happens. Um, so thank you for joining us today. It's a short and sweet one today, but uh, we just thought that that was an interesting observation, the journey that the risk, um, risk management subject, I guess, has gone through in the last 30, 40 years or so. Um, 
and it'll be interesting to see where it goes next. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, Kay. Bye.